Hey, how you guys doing this morning? Fantastic. My name is Chris, and uh, let me kind of explain what we're doing today because we are wrapping up a six-part series entitled, You're Really Tall, uh, yeah. uh, The Problem of God. And uh, what was supposed to happen today is Pastor Carlo and myself was supposed to do a Q&A. Well, uh, Carlo is at home sick. So if you would, please be praying for my friend Carlo. He is uh, he really wanted to be here because uh, this actually this series was his idea, and um, and uh, I know he wanted to close it out well. But I'm so glad uh, that he's able to get some rest at home. And I'm joined uh, by by the idiot <laughs> by Luther. Uh, so in uh, my wife Kim. So uh, my wife Luther and my wife Kim. So uh, there you go. So. Anyway, and let me tell you what we're going to do today. Uh, we're just going to take your questions. Um, so uh, if you have any questions uh, about what we've talked about over the past five weeks, if you have any questions about the Bible, if you have any questions just uh, to us personally uh, or about our church, uh, we want to be able to take that. And uh, that number's on the screen. Um, it's uh, 931-614-0339. And uh, we actually had somebody actually text in a question last night uh, uh, from actually my community group. So uh, I want to kind of read this question to you, and we will answer that. So the first question is, when you die, uh, do you go straight to judgment, uh, then, uh, uh, then heaven or hell, or do you hang around until judgment day? That's a great question. Any of y'all want to take that, or you want me to? All right, so I'll take that one. Um, because this was somebody in my small group who so had to do some prep work before this one, all right? You know what I'm saying? So let me tell you uh, what happens. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So uh, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, uh, then as soon as you close your eyes uh, and they pronounce you dead, uh, you are more alive now than you ever have been. And uh, you will be in God's presence. You will be in heaven. Uh, if you do not have a relationship uh, with God, um, you uh, immediately uh, go uh, to hell, which is apart from God's presence. And again, there's a great uh, a passage in Luke chapter 16 that Jesus tells a story about the rich young man and Lazarus. And the rich young man dies, the, the, uh, the poor man, Lazarus, dies. Lazarus had a relationship with God. He goes to heaven immediately, and the rich man does not have a relationship with God, and he immediately goes to hell. In fact, he, he sends word. He says, can somebody please relieve me of this torment that I'm in? So uh, Jesus tells that story, and it, again, it tells exactly immediately what happens. But that is a really good question. All right? Next question. Yeah, I just, uh, there we go. Hey, I just saw a question pop in. Can I be pro-choice and a Christian? Um, and, I, and I guess the thing I'd be looking for there would be, um, which is more important? How do you want to be defined? Um, I would say the first thing is I want to be known as a Christ follower. I want people to know that I belong to God, that I have been adopted into God's family, that I'm his son. And, and all the other <laughs> labels just really don't matter. Um now, you know, I think there's some things you need to search out um, about being pro-choice. Um, we're a church that doesn't believe a lot in judging people, and we believe that God redeems and forgives, but we do also believe that God's Word is true uh, and that there are things that are sin and things that are not. Um, and so, um, you know, we're probably never going to do 
I don't know. We've never really taken a firm stand in here. I mean, I know where we stand on this issue. Mm-hmm. So we are definitely pro-life because we believe God is pro-life. Um, but we are not, you know, we're, I don't think we're ever going to stand up here and make someone feel awful because they have. Uh, I would just say w- the thing that should define you should be your relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. And, and, and let me just piggyback on that. You know, one of the things uh, when it comes to, you know, when you look at both parties, and I'm talking about political parties and stuff like that, um, I think there's portions of both parties that get things right, and I think there's portions of both parties that get things wrong. So um, when, it, when it comes to uh, being pro-life or pro-choice, uh, again, I think Luther uh, summed it up well. If somebody has, has, uh, has had an abortion in here, I don't believe that is the unpardonable sin. Uh, I believe that the only unpardonable sin, the one that God cannot forgive, is if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. So if you're here and uh, you uh, were faced with that awful choice and you chose to end the life of that baby, um, I don't believe that that separates you from uh, a loving Heavenly Father. Um, So I think to be pro-life means we need to be pro-life inside of the womb but we must also be pro-life outside of the womb, that we must uh, care for the widows and orphans, and uh, we are to care for those who are less fortunate once they are born, uh, but we're also to champion the rights of, of, of children who are not yet born. So I think that is a great question. Um, Psalm 139 uh, talks about that uh, God is uh, writing through the, the hand of David, and he says, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Uh, Jeremiah, my friend Ernie, prayed for me right before we got out, and he quoted Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, and Jeremiah says the exact same thing. So anyway, a great question. Uh, Next question. I'm not getting them, so. I'm working on technical issues over here, y'all. I'm trying to hold this microphone and a look at a phone, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not good at double-tasking in the world of technology. So. Well, here, <clears throat> Neither is Luther. <laughs> well, I keep turning my mic off so it doesn't, Chris doesn't get picked up in both. So um, we'll take another easy one. Um, so since you believe the Word of God is true, do you denounce homosexuality? Oh, my gosh. Next question. I'm just uh, so since we believe the word of God is true, do we denounce homosexuality? Well, let me simply say this. I, I think I, I do believe the entire God's word is true. Uh, I believe what the Bible says about homosexuality, uh, that that is not God's best, and that's a sin. I also believe uh, that pornography is a sin. I also believe that not respecting parents is a sin. Uh, And it's amazing. When you read Romans chapter 1 that denounces homosexuality, it's in a list of a bunch of other things that we shouldn't do. Uh, slandering, gossiping, being angry, uh, not uh, not uh, honoring m- a mom and dad, um, and then homosexu- homosexuality is in there. Do you have that? I, I don't know if you do. I do. I'm All in right, Romans chapter it. one. I'm still uh, finding that there. Give okay. me just one second. I apologize. Sure, that's fine. So uh, that being said, but let me tell you what we do not do not denounce. We don't denounce a homosexual. Because I believe that anybody in here, if they're struggling through anything, and by the way, quick show of hands, let me see if I can see. How many of y'all struggling through sin? Let me see your hands. There you go. If you didn't raise your hand, you're struggling with lying. All right? Or or you're not struggling with it at all. You're really good at it. I mean, (laughs) exactly right. 
Got to so, be good uh, at something. So let me tell you, one of the things that we, uh, one of the things that we do here is we make it about Jesus and getting close to Jesus. And I believe the closer you get to Jesus, the farther away you will get from your junk. And all of us have junk in here. So let's don't just focus on the sins maybe that Christians don't struggle with. Or maybe it's alcoholism. Maybe it's homosexuality. We, uh, let's talk about gluttony. Come on now. Let's talk about things of that nature that we probably do struggle with. So um, anyway, you have that? Okay. okay. All right. So, well, why'd it. you have to point right. at me when you said alcoholism? Well, I didn't point I was, at you. I mean, Diet Coke right. is my issue. You know, I, I would say that in that question, the, the one word that really stuck out to me was denounce. Um, and that is kind of to tear down or put down. Uh, and that's the thing I don't think Jesus does. In fact, the only thing that I recall Jesus denouncing were hypocrites, were people who proclaimed to be Christians and then did not love people. Um, and so I, we as a church, we are four people. We are four people who love Jesus, and we are four people who are very far from God. Um, and, and we believe that it's God, that it's the Holy Spirit living in us when we start a relationship with Jesus Christ that convicts and changes. And so it's not our job to tear you down or denounce anyone. It's our job to bring you face-to-face with a Jesus who loves you no matter what sin you're struggling with. Because let's just be honest, all sexual sin is the same. And so whether you're having sex outside of marriage, you're living with someone you're not married to, those are all the same sin. Um, We like to denounce homosexuality. The church, the big C church, denounces homosexuality because for those of us that are heterosexual, we don't think we're going to struggle with it. And so it's real easy to make that a them sin and not a we sin. And, and go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say too, um, you know, and some sometimes I think we have a tendency to recognize sins that are more visible than others. Um, you know, we all struggle with something, and whether or not that's something that everyone can see or not, every one of us is dealing with something. And so we have to recognize that, you know, I'm, I may be dealing with a terrible jealousy problem, but just because my jealousy may not be visible doesn't mean that it's not eating me up from the inside out. I may, I may struggle with uh, anger issues. Once again, that may not be fully displayed, but, um, and so I think that we have to remember that as God looks at each one of us, it's not just about the sins that are seen, but it's also about the sins that are not as seen. Mm-hmm. That goes to this next question. How do we know that God is real? Well, we're, I pulled that one up because we were in uh, Romans chapter 1, and, um, and, and in, right in the beginning of Romans chapter 1, um, I'm going to look in verses, um, I'm going to look in verse, uh, starting in verse 3. The good news is about his son Jesus. In this earthly life, he was born, um, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority to tell the Gentiles everywhere about what God has done for him. I'm in verse 6 now. Um, And you are included uh, because you have been called to Jesus. Let's see. Um, I mean, I've gotten to the right part here. I'm sorry. I'm struggling just a little bit this morning with reading. Um, and basically, uh, what we're going to, what we're going to find is that in Romans chapter one, uh, here we go. I was on the wrong page. Okay. So verse 19, I apologize. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them for ever since the world has been created, people have seen the earth and the sky though every through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. 
And basically what we see right here in Romans chapter 1 is that God has created everything, everything we see and everything we don't see. So just by the power of his hand, just by the miracle of creation, by the mountains, by the ocean, by the stars in the sky, mm-hmm. we are told in scripture that even, uh, even without knowing what the name of that is, that God has placed within each one of us a longing to know him and to understand him. And just by creation, alone, we have an understanding of who God is. You guys want to piggyback well, on And that? I just want to say, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 19.1. It says, the heavens declare of the glory of God. And that's exactly what Kim just said. You know, if there is poetry, there must be a poet. Uh, if, there's, if we see art, there must be an artist. If we see creation, there must be a creator. Now, think through me through this. What if I just walked into my, my, uh, my workshop? By the way, I don't have a workshop because I ain't got no tools. But let's just, it, this, is, this is a story, people. Let's pretend, okay? So I go out to my workshop, and I want to make a clock, okay? So what I do is I get all of the stuff that I need to be able to make a clock. Maybe it's a pocket watch, okay? So I have the springs, I have the second hand, I I, I have the hour hand, I have the minute hand, I have the gold case, I have everything that I need to make a pocket watch. Everybody got me and I got it laid out on the table. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a hand grenade in there and I'm going to pull the pin and I'm going to leave the workshop, I close the door, it explodes, and then when I come back, I have a pocket watch, right? How many of y'all believe that that happens? No. But you know what? That's exactly, when you take God out of everything, that's basically what we say science has said, is we have a big explosion, and now... Everything just happens to be put together right. And hear me, I believe in science. I believe all truth is God's truth, and I believe we are to follow the evidence exactly where it goes. And as we just talked about in that scenario, we're like, no, an explosion does not a pocket watch make. Well, again, there must be a clock maker if there is going to be a clock. And I think just looking around you, I think we can see, looking at a snowflake, looking at your thumb, looking at the human eye, looking at the universe, it is so intricate. And I believe that there's somebody behind creating all of that. So anyway, anything you want to say on that? Okay. All right. Sweet. No, I know how much the mics cost, so I'm not dropping them, but y'all both crushed that question. <coughs> so uh, let me throw another one out here. We've got so many good questions, by the way. Thanks, guys. Um, what do healthy, godly relationships look like? These are boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. Y'all want to let me blow the room up? Do it, up man. Or, all please. right. So I have a pretty strong stance on this. I spent years what? in student ministry and uh, have seen many a young person's life destroyed um, with getting this wrong. And so uh, I believe Scripture is pretty clear here that we are to... Um, it, it doesn't talk about dating. And so in that sense, I'm, I'm going to walk that back. But I do think the Bible is very clear on what our relationship should look like. And so my advice on that would be is if we, if we look at God's Word and we look at, you don't go to a verse, you want to see what God's character is on, a, on something. 
And God's character on this is that when, if I was to start dating someone, I should treat that, that young lady. I'm old now, so it would be an old lady, but, um, my wife will kill me. I just called someone an old lady. Um, good thing she's at home. Uh, but the way we should treat her until she is our wife is we treat her like she could be someone else's wife. And so we don't want to do anything to her or with her that would mess up her marriage if it wasn't to me. And I think that's just a real easy way to look at that. Because if we love this person that we're dating, we want the best for them. It's not what we want from them. It's not the things they can do for me that make me feel good or make my life better. It's how I can love that person well and I can make their life better. And if I really want to make that person's life better, I'm not going to destroy their marriage, whether that's to me or someone else. And so I'm going to honor that person by loving them in the way that Jesus would want me to. And I'm not going to do marriage stuff until we're married. So That's good. That's good. And I would simply just add on there, never date somebody you wouldn't want to marry. Uh, that's a big deal. So absolutely. And I always say, if you're not ready to get married, don't date. Um, because casual dating is practice for divorce, not for marriage. It is making quick, intimate relationships, ending them, getting over it, and moving on. And it simply teaches you how to be prepared for divorce when you get married because you're, you're good at saying no or saying goodbye to intimate relationships. Well, and I think, too, another uh, component of this is, well, what about if I'm dating someone who, who's not a Christian or who doesn't believe? You know, maybe my influence will help them come to know Jesus. Well, maybe. But if you've ever watched someone who's drowning and someone goes out to save them, it's a lot easier to pull someone down than it is to bring them up. And so we're told in Scripture that we're not to be in the yoke with someone who doesn't believe the way that we do. Um, if you remember in the um, Enough series, we, gave, we talked about that example of the yoke and how the idea is that um, there's, a, there's a stronger believer in, uh, there's a stronger uh, animal in with a weaker animal. But what God says about that in our relationships, especially in our, in our relationships with our spouse or someone that we're dating, is that we don't want to be unequally yoked. We want to be with someone who believes the way that we do because that way we're in the same mindset. We're working in the same direction. One of the verses that, uh, that Kim just quoted was 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, don't uh, team up with people who aren't unbelievers. Can a righteousness be partner with wickedness? And that's just basically saying if you're a Christ follower, you have a certain set of values, and if you're dating somebody who's not, missionary dating doesn't work. It doesn't work. What did you just say? In the, in the student world, we used to call that flirt to convert. It, it, it does not work, all right? So anyway, here's a question that I'll read. Um, uh, when a spouse or significant other has a serious illness, is it all right to be angry and question God? What do you want to take this? Yeah, I think this is one of those that can kind of go along with why does God allow bad things to mm -hmm. happen to good people? Um, and illness is certainly a part of that. Um, and I immediately uh, thought of a passage in 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is in chapter 1. And um, in verse 3, it just says, um, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble just as we have been given comfort. 
And I think that what we hear there is that God understands because as Jesus was on this earth, he walked through and felt every emotion, every um, situation that we have that we deal with now. Uh, a prime example of that is the life of Lazarus. Um, he got a message that Lazarus was sick and he delayed in going to where Lazarus was and he died. And when Jesus got there, uh, Lazarus's family is like, if you would have just come, if you would have been here, he would not have died. If you would have done what you can do, he would still be alive. And Jesus goes to where Lazarus is buried in, 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 the, um, in the tomb, and it says, Jesus wept. He felt that sorrow. He felt that frustration. A little further down in this passage, it says, for just as we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ... So also our comfort is found in Christ. And I just love that because basically what it says is that he understands because he's been there. We can find comfort in him because he has walked through the things that we have walked through. And so we comfort one another, whether that's through sorrow, through grief, through loss, through anger, through betrayal. Jesus has been right where we are. And so we can come to him just in our realness and in our rawness and he will meet us in that place and offer us comfort there. I want to I, I speak to the angry with God part of that because sometimes we feel like that it would be blasphemy or something or, you know, God would strike us down with lightning um, if we were to struggle with God. And, and one of the stories I love in the Old Testament is Jacob, who really becomes God's people in the Old Testament, Israel. God changes his name to Israel because Jacob wrestled with God. Um, and so God's very chosen people in the Old Testament wrestled with him, struggled with him, screamed at him. Um, if you serve a God who's not big enough for you to scream at him and you still love that God and that God still love you, you're not serving much of a God. Um, I have six kids and I am far from being as good a dad as, as my heavenly father is. And I still love my children and they've said some pretty awful things to me and done some pretty stupid things. Um, and if as an earthly father, I can still love them and still have relationship with them after they do that, how much more can a perfect father still love us and it be okay for us to be angry and to wrestle with him? And I think in the book of Psalms, I mean, that's another great place. If you're looking for somebody who struggled and wrestled with God, the life of David is filled with that. And there are people who are hunting David down and wanting to kill him. And he's like, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? I've cried out to you. I've prayed to you. And it's like, you're silent. Could you please just respond? And so that's another great place in the Old Testament to go and to find those places of anger and misunderstanding and that feeling of just like, God, where are you? And why don't you do something? Specifically, you can go to Psalms 27. My favorite book of the Bible has a line in there that even though my mother and father forsake me, I mean, it is just a laundry list in Psalms 27 of the world against me, the world against me, the world against me, and then, but God. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let me give you another question. Uh, and I'm going to wrap up one, uh, a, a couple. One says, um, how do you deal with betrayal? And then another one uh, is, what's so bad about revenge? And uh, I got a, a couple of verses here from Romans chapter 12. Let me read them. Uh, this is Romans chapter 12, verse 17, and it says this, Never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. And then verse 18, such a difficult verse, Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. 
Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. What did it say? Now, I, I got the Greek here in front of me, and the word never means never. Never take revenge. Now, and the question is, well, why? Well, it keeps on going. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And it says, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame upon their heads. All right? And then the last verse, do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. So let's talk. Let's wrap that up. All right? So when you take revenge, what you've done is you've taken the situation out of God's hands and you put it in yours. And you can take revenge, but know this, that's all the justice you're going to get. All the justice you're going to get. But if you leave that in God's hands, let me tell you, God can pay back people like nobody else. You know what I'm saying? And if you really want justice, leave it in the hands of God. Leave it in the hands of God. And he then goes on and says, you know, don't pay back evil for evil. And if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them drink. Imagine, again, imagine if we actually practice that. Let let me go political for a sec. Imagine if both Democrats and Republicans practice that, and when somebody's angry at somebody, that they don't attack, they don't tweet, but they want, you know, let me serve you. Let me love you. Would Washington, D.C. be a better place? Yes, it would. Let me get, would your home be a better place? Yes, it would. And honestly, it starts in your house before it starts in the White House. Y'all going to get me preaching. That's right. Right. If you want to see real change, uh, and some of y'all, y'all can't wait for 2020, right? Great. You don't have to wait. It's March 10th, 2019, and you can have a change today, and it all starts with you. So anyway. <laughs> in First um, Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, in verse 11, it says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business. And working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. And this is verse 12. This is so important. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. And you won't have to depend on the opinion of others. Mm. So I just think that's a really important thing for us to remember. Is that it's not only um, the Christians and our friends that we are around. It's the non-believers who are watching us. Mm. And so sometimes we just need to mind our own business. Again, how different, if you really lived a Christ-like life, would your social media be in the ranch you do on Facebook? Hear me. I have, Luther knows this, I have strong opinions. I don't share those opinions on Facebook, right? Because you know what? Opinions are like armpits. Everybody has two and they smell, right? So I am not going to fight over things that might cause me to lose influence and be able to speak true life, which is Jesus, into somebody else's life. Just not going to do it. So uh, I think we all need to do that. You know, one of the things we say around here is we can be right or we can make a difference. And sometimes it's giving up our right to be right. I mean, you still know you're right, but you don't have to tell the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have found that since we've really talked a lot about that, my social media has gotten really boring Every time I think I want to post something, I put it through that filter, and then I just put my phone down. 
and I realize I almost post nothing ever anymore because it's just like, well, can't say that. Um, and so, I just so many good things happen in here that I feel like the world needs to know. Um, question here. It's a couple questions in a row that deal with forgiveness and both people and siblings and um, this is one that I've really had to adopt with, I've got a brother and sister that I don't have a relationship with. Um, it's not a forgiveness issue. It's just an access issue at this point. Um, I have forgiven them. Uh, I pray that God blesses them and that they have the same relationship with Jesus Christ that I do someday, uh, or a better one than I do. That sounded awful. Um, but one of the things we like to say around here a lot is that um, unconditional love does not mean unconditional access. And so you can choose to love someone. You can choose to forgive them to release yourself from carrying that bitterness. But it doesn't mean you have to continue to hand them your heart and say, hey, I'm giving you access to just do whatever with this. Um, because once someone tells you who they are, you should believe them. Um, and so when someone has continued to hurt you and tear you down, love them. Pray that they get the same access to the forgiveness of, of sin through Jesus that you have which is, which is a definition of forgiveness that I helped someone come up with a couple years ago. Uh, someone had been hurt terribly by an individual, um, just in a really bad way. And, and the best definition that we could come up with for her was that that person would be allowed to go to heaven. And so the, pl the thing that she prayed for for that person was that Jesus would love that person enough to forgive him if he ever came and asked for it. Well, it's very interesting because um, even though Luther and I have no uh, relation with one another, our lives are like twinsies sometimes. And um, I'm also in a situation with um, a, um, a brother who, uh, I mean, God has just torn my life up over the subject of forgiveness this year. And um, I always thought I was a pretty easily forgiving person and um, just always understood, well, God has forgiven me of so much. How could I not forgive someone else? And sometimes um, forgiveness looks like letting it go day after day after day. It's not just a one and done type of thing. And I think sometimes that's where we get caught is we think, well, if I've said that I've forgiven, then I can't. I d it means I'm not going to deal with it anymore. And that's not been the case in my life. I have to daily lay it down and forgive. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, it says this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. And really for me, that's the thing. It just, God, what God said to me was, Kim, I have to forgive you every day. You're going to fail me in some way every day. And so this standard that you've got in your mind of you're going to forgive and then it's going to be sunshine and roses and unicorns and rainbows, that's not necessarily the case. You're going to have to bring this day after day and lay it down day after day because you have to come to me in the same way mm. day after day. That's right. And that goes along to a next question. I feel like I am forgiving people too much. It gets tiring sometimes. Advice? <laughs> and Kim just answered that. I, I want to go back to that verse. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And the answer is, you're right, it is tiring. And the advice I can give you, I, I'll give you two. Number one, when you're struggling with forgiving somebody else, 
Remember how God has forgiven you. It's complete without strings. So that helps. Another thing that helps is drawing boundaries so that that person isn't walking all over you every day. There's a great resource by um, Clark and Townsend. Those are the authors, and it's simply called Boundaries. Cloud, what did I say, Clark? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Henry Cloud and Clark Townsend, I believe is their names. Clark. So anyway, um, and it's called Boundaries. And I would really encourage you to read that. They have boundaries for marriage, boundaries for friendships. Uh, they got a lot of different boundaries books. Pick kind of your where you're struggling with and get that. And that really does help because we are to forgive. But just because, Luther said this, just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you give people uh, access to your life again. So that's a really big one. Um, uh, this uh, person also texted in, I feel like I have to choose between a relationship with God and a relationship with my significant other. Best advice. All right. This is a question I feel like we've covered a lot over the years because it seems like we consistently, and I, you know, my life in church, it seems like there's always that group of people in your church where, where there's a spouse that attends church regularly, maybe brings kids, and then there's a spouse who never comes and, and that is, it's tough. And it's the reason we think it's so important to not, to not become unequally yoked, to use that phrase from the Bible, but not to marry someone who's not a believer. Um, when you get married, you should be looking for someone who is more, someone who's going to help bring you more into your relationship with Christ, not someone you're going to have to pull along. That gets tough. Someone has to win, but um, be looking for someone who's going to help raise you up. But once you're already married and you're there, how do you do that? And I think you honor God best by if you know by loving and respecting your spouse for who you want them to be, maybe not who they are today. Um, it, you know, if it's a husband, rarely have I ever seen a husband react well to nagging. Uh, I have seen a husband react well to being respected when he's not respectable. And so, um, you know, this is a question we've gotten a lot with tithing. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, you know, I'm a Christian, my husband is not, should I tithe? And our answer is, you do whatever honors him. And if your husband says don't tithe, you don't tithe, and you feel completely okay with that. Because you should honor your husband. The very first mission field we have is our home. And so you should love your spouse well. You should love and respect them like they are the God, like they will someday be the godly husband or wife that you want them to be. Um, because you're not going to elevate them by chopping their legs out from under them day after day after day. Uh, verse, you want to read that? You have it? First uh, Peter chapter three, verse one. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. Huh? Ain't that something? They will be won over without a word by observing your pure and reverent lives. I, I love that because so many times, and hey man, I'm a preacher, so I naturally go to vocal communication. And sometimes when you're married to a spouse and they're, they don't know Jesus and you do, the best thing that you can do is not to shove Jesus down their throats. The best thing you can do is to pray for them and to live a godly lifestyle. And that godly lifestyle will speak more to them than your words ever will. 
And later down in that passage, um, it talks to husbands as well, because it's not always just women who have unbelieving husbands. There are husbands who have wives that don't believe. And, um, and it says, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. And, you know, what that makes me think of is so many times um, I've heard people say, well, my spouse does this, and my spouse does that, and my spouse does this. And we can get so distracted by what a spouse is or is not doing that we neglect our own spiritual health because we're so busy recognizing what they aren't doing that we get stuck um, paying attention to them and not listening to the Lord ourselves. And so notice how that says, when you treat your spouse the way that you should, your prayers will be honored. You notice your prayers. So you've got to be praying in order for them to be honored in the first place. And so instead of spending so much time pointing out what your spouse isn't doing, get your knees on the floor and get your face in the word and pray for your spouse so that God will hear your prayers. Okay, then. By the way, she can preach. I get a lot of sermons all the time. I'm just joking. <laughs> all right, here's another one. Um, will Christ forgive me if I went through a time of doubt? Okay. Uh, I'm chuckling because we all go through times of doubt. We do. I'm a preacher. Uh, I've been in the ministry uh, for going on 30 years now. Um, I have been to seminary. Uh, I have I read through the Bible every year, and I still struggle. I do. So uh, let me just say, if he doesn't forgive, then I'm messed up, all right? The reason why I know he does forgive, this is in Mark chapter 9. Uh, and uh, what happens is this dad brings a boy to Jesus who uh, is filled with this evil spirit. And uh, Jesus says, how long has this been happening? And he answers. And then, um, uh, and then uh, the dad says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus says, verse 23, what do you mean if I can? Jesus said, anything is possible if a person believes. And listen, look at this next verse. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Mm -hmm. All of us struggle. One of Jesus's closest friends, the 12 disciples spent three and a half years day in and day out with Jesus. And Thomas, who's, what was his nickname? The doubter, he says, Jesus rises from the dead, and Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe it unless I can take my finger and put it through the hole in his hand, or I can take my hand and put it in his side. So guess what? Jesus didn't ridicule him. Jesus showed up and said, here you go. There you go. And Thomas is like, you know, and Thomas believed. Sometimes it takes a while to believe. And some of you are here and like, this is kind of, you know, you're struggling with God. You're struggling with the Bible. You're struggling with Jesus. And you're like, I just, can I continue to show up Sunday after Sunday and not believe? And the answer is yes. You pray what this father says, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. The reason why we're doing this series is so that you can see that there's evidence and there's things that you can be able to go, God's word can be trusted. 
that you can go through and you can look through stuff and you don't have to take out your brain in order to believe. So, uh, one last question. No, I love that passage. That has a, that there's two reasons I love that passage. That passage was, uh, really key in helping my oldest daughter kind of come back to a relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus. She had gotten to a place of doubt and we heard this passage spoken um, at Passion several years ago. It was huge for her. And I love it because I don't know if you know this, but I'm an English as a second language speaker. Sarcasm is my first language. And um, and I'm, so I'm working on the English sometimes. And uh, this is like one of my favorite sarcastic moments of Jesus here. Uh, I always hear this like in a Samuel L. Jackson voice. Like, what do you mean if I can? Like, I love that passage. So, Absolutely. So, guys, uh, we're at the end of our time. So uh, I want to say thank you. Uh, one of the things that we do here at One Church is we want to create conversations. Now, next Sunday, my wife and I are going to be teaching together. We're going to be uh, starting a new marriage series called Better Together, and we're going to be talking about lessons that we've learned over the past 25 years of marriage. I actually married her when she was 11. Uh, so, I was worried you meant your work wife because I'm no, work wife, and that's. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't think I'm up here next week. So stop talking, Luther. Anyway, just joking. So, but the reason why I'm telling you that is you may have some questions about marriage or relationships, and Kim and I want to help answer those questions. So if you already got your phones out, if you got some questions about relationship stuff, go ahead and text us in, and uh, and we will uh, tackle some of those questions next week. Guys, guys, we love you. We want you to go be the church, but let me pray for us. God, we love you, and I thank you so much, Lord, Lord, for just us to be able to ask questions. Lord, you are a God who doesn't shy away from questions. You are a God who uh, wants to uh, share with us and show us truth. And God, I pray, Lord, that uh, as we go to as we went to God's word today, as we've asked some questions today, God, I pray that you would be able to help our unbelief, that you would be able to help us when we doubt. And Lord, I thank you so much that you love us. I thank you so much, Lord, that you always forgive us. And God, that's exactly what we pray as we try to forgive other people. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.